Good morning, Tuolumne Community Baptist Church podcast listeners. I am so glad that you're here. Again, it's Sunday morning. I'm down at the church office just praying and getting ready for the day. I'm really excited. I love John chapter 9. That's where we're going today. John chapter 9, I preach on it at least once a year, the, the, the entirety of John 9. It is so good. It is funny. Um, there's a lot in it. And every time that I preach it, God shows me more. And I'm just so excited. I can't wait to get into the Word today. I hope that you're following along with our our chapter-by-chapter chapter study on the book of John. We're just kind of going through it. Uh, Easter is coming, and I, I believe we're going to be right where the Lord wants us to be come Easter Sunday morning. God bless you guys. I hope you're enjoying this series. Uh, I know I am sure enjoying bringing it to you. God bless you. Come on down to the church and see us. We'll see you then. Bye. Well, we are finally at John chapter 9. How many can you guys remember me preaching John chapter 9? Does anybody remember? See, it's only been, well, maybe it's been a year or two. Maybe it's been a little longer. But John chapter 9 is one of my ultimate favorite passages to preach. The entire chapter. It is a great story, and each time that I preach it, God brings new revelation, and I believe we have something new even today. It is one of my favorites. We will read the whole chapter because I don't want you to miss any of this. It's funny. It's so good that we can't miss a word of it because God is real. But there's a lot of, uh, there for us to see, and I want to point out seven things out of this scripture that you want to watch for. It could be that you've been asking God, why don't I hear your voice like others say they do? You might say, I wish when I read the Bible, it would be just like, like it sounds and it feels like when I'm at church. I want it to come alive while I'm reading it. Well, could it be that there's one of these potential seven things that I'm going to give you that could be standing in your way? And I'm going to give them to you all at once, and I want you to pay attention and hear them throughout this message. Number one is blame. Number two is disobedience. Number three is religion. Yes, I said religion gets in our way. Number four, unbelief. Number five, fear. Number six, a hard heart. And number seven, pride. The pride of life, one of the hardest things for us to get over. But before we get into all that, let's start off with a pop quiz. You guys ready? Did you pay attention last week? We'll find out soon. First one, John 8, 34. Jesus answered them, said, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits a sin, whoever commits sin is a slave. There you go. Hey, some of you got it. I heard one little quiet of sin. Let's go to number two. John 8, 35, these are, Jesus repeated these one right after the other. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. abides forever. Amen. You know, that sounds so simple. But do you realize, we as Christians, brothers and sisters, we, we still have a sinful nature. Can I get an amen? We still have, we still have issues. We still have problems. And if we don't get rid of that sin, 
eventually we'll find ourselves not abiding in his house because the sin literally will take over. And that's what Jesus was trying to say. He wasn't saying if you sin, you're no longer his and you're not in his house. But if you stay there, the sin will overcome and it'll take you. And I think you know what I'm talking about. So let's jump right into John 9, verse 1. Now, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. I got to stop there. I don't know how Jesus knew that this man was blind from birth. Unless there was some conversation going on. How do you know a guy's blind from birth? You just see that he's blind. But Jesus knew, he's God, he knows all things, that he was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Man, it just starts off right here. These guys were walking with the living God. Had they not seen him walk on water, feed 20,000 people? At this point, he has healed blind people before. Maybe not one from birth, but he has healed the blind. He's healed the sick. He's done miraculous things that they have witnessed, and they're walking with him. And what do they do? They see this blind man sitting here, and they should say, Jesus, here's a blind man. Let's go heal him. But they wanted to have a theological discussion. Jesus, we want to know who sinned. This man? Well, how did he sin? He was born blind. Or his parents? These guys were much like the church today. Oftentimes, we question God. How many times have you heard, Now I'm not going to ask if you've done because I don't want you to raise your hand, but how many times have you heard someone say to you, well, do you, do you have some sin you need to clean up to get over this situation you're in? Is there, is there something going on that, you know, well, Jesus didn't heal me, so that you must be in sin. God is love, and he doesn't want any of us to be sick any of the time. But we live in a world that's lost and fallen and broken, and people get sick. So let's look at how Jesus answered. John 3 says, 9, 3 says, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. Wow. He's blind because God created him that way but that the works of God would be shown through him. Then Jesus goes on and says, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. Well, here Jesus uses a few metaphors to relate to his earthly, I believe, to his earthly ministry. He's in an era without electricity. Nighttime was was by necessity a time where less work could be done on account of darkness. The day is the most effective time to work, but it is also a limited time. So I believe Jesus was using this term day. It refers to his time left to do his father's work while he's here on this earth. Night refers to the rapidly approaching time when he would die and his earthly work would end. 
But his earthly work isn't ended, is it? He now resides within us. We are the light of the world. Jesus lives in us. Because he goes on to say in verse 5, as long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Let me ask you a question. Is he in the world today? Yes, he is in us through the power of the Holy Spirit that resides within each one of us. So let's look at John 9, 6 and 7. He says, when he had said these things, you know, notice he didn't say, okay, guys, let's go over and heal him so I can make a point. He doesn't say anything. He just goes, <laughs> on the ground. It's, a, it's an image we don't get much of Christ. But that's what he did. He spat on the ground and bent down and started making mud out of his spit. Stuck his fingers in that stuff. And we're worried about COVID. Come on. Amen. He, he stuck his fingers in it and started making mud. He spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with clay. Verse 7, and he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went, washed, and came back seen. Doesn't sound like much miraculous happened there, but understand what it was for this guy. He came back seen. He could see the world. He could see the clouds. He could see his parents' face that he'd never seen before. He could see people. He could see everything but what if he had been disobedient? What if he had said, I wouldn't have had to wash my face if you hadn't put mud on it? Come on, Jesus. And he took his shirt and just wiped it out of his eyes. How many of us tend to do that? We may be going through a hard time and maybe seem like we had a little bit of mud in our eyes. What we need to do is go wash and stay in the word and stay with Jesus what if he was disobedient and he just said, I, I don't need to wash. This is ridiculous. I, I got to have somebody guide me to get me over there. And obviously somebody did. Look at John 8, chapter 9, verse 8. Therefore, it's going to be amazing how much talking begins to carry on now. The neighbors of those who were previously had seen that he was blind said... Is this not he who sat and begged? Some said, it is he. Others said, he is like him. And he's standing there in a circle, jumping up and down saying, it's me, it's me. Guys, it's me. I was blind and now I see. But they were like, no, there's got to be a twin. You must have had a twin. That's not, no, it can't be. They had a hard time getting a hold of this. Verse 10 says, then they said to him, how were your eyes opened? And he answered and said, a man called Jesus made clay. He left out the spit part and anointed my eyes and said, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and I received sight. Verse 12, they said to him, well, where is he? And he said, I don't know. He left while I was over watching. I don't know where he is. I haven't seen him. I was blind when he put the mud on my eyes. So they brought him, who was formerly blind, to the Pharisees. Now he's in trouble. He didn't even ask to be healed. Think about it. 
He didn't even ask, Lord, would you heal me? I can't see. I know you're out there. He didn't ask. He wasn't asking anything. The Lord God, out of his mercy and greatness and showing who Jesus is, just walks up and heals the man. But now he's in trouble with the Pharisees, the religious people. That's number three. Verse 14 says, now it was the Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened a man's eyes. Oh, okay, now we know. Now we know where the problem was. It was a Sabbath. It was the day that they were supposed to be not working, not doing anything. And Jesus, how could he, this sinner of all, healed this man on a Sabbath? Verse 15, and the Pharisees also asked, how did you receive your sight? And he said to them, he put clay on my eyes and I washed and I see. Well, we can see the religious problem going on here. Jesus has been dealing with religious problems throughout his entire ministry. Well, pastor, we would never do that. We don't act that way. Really? I think we probably do. Maybe we don't realize it, and that's why I'm trying to point it out, that we need to pay attention. How about when we point our fingers at other churches that don't do things or do things a little bit differently than we do? And we say, that's not right. That's not right. I mean, I was at this church where they were waving flags during worship, you know, and, and dancing around, and it was so distracting, and I think it was so wrong, and it was so terrible. Well, then don't go there if it bothered you so much. But what gives us the right to say that they're wrong? That's how they worship God. Did we lose our... They'll fix it. Just keep moving. All right. You guys freak me out when I see people moving around. It's going to me all distracted here. So what about with a speak in tongues in church out loud? Oh, that's got to be Satan. God would never do anything like that. Well, let me say it like this. I believe that God is a God of order. But I'm not going to put down another church that practices speaking in tongues out loud in church. It's not our place. We do it as Christians today. We're pointing our fingers at other ministries and other churches that do things a little bit different than we do. Be very careful. Because we are part of a denomination. And I got to say this, I'm proud to be a part of the CSBC, the California Southern Baptist Convention. But do we really know what the word denomination means? It's a Greek word, and it's moved into our, our American language, and, you know, we use a denomination. Think about it. You, you learned it in math. A denomination 12 times 12, you know, the denomination of numbers. But what it really means in the Greek is to divide, to divine. What a better way for Satan than to move into this world and begin to divide his churches through denomination, through religious people. And we have to be very careful. I meet with pastors every week of different denominations. I don't care because they put Jesus first. And we love God together. I don't care how they want to run their worship. That's their business. Their people enjoy it the way they do it. 
And they laugh and say, oh, hey, we got a token Baptist. That's me. And I turned around and said, yeah, no problem. I probably speak in tongues more than y'all. They looked at me like, oh, you're a full gospel believer? Yes. Yes, I am. But we have to be very careful not to allow a denomination to be put blinders on our face and, and we, we begin to talk. Our, our Methodist brother over there, he, he doesn't want to open church. He's scared. Come on. That's not right. He's being very prudent with his life and his family. And I commend him for doing what he feels he needs to do for his ministry. I'm not going to put him down and go, oh, what a, what a, what a scaredy cat. Come on. So don't tell me that we don't act this way because we do. I'm hoping to convict your heart a little bit so we change a little bit. Let's look at verse 16. Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such things? And then there was a great denomination among them. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I say denomination? There was great division among them. Is that not the same thing? Some were saying, well, this guy can't be, a, can't be from God. He did it on a Sabbath. And well, if he's not from God, how could he do it? Hey, listen, let's come together. It's Jesus. It's our God. It started way back in Jesus' day. They began to divide people off. Division. Verse 17. They said to the blind man again, Where do you, what do you say about him because he opened your eyes? What do you say about this guy? What would you say? You were blind from birth. He just blunts out. He's a prophet. He's got to be. He's a prophet. He, he, he knows that he must be from God. Verse 18. Now we're going to come into some unbelief. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him who had received his sight. All right, we don't believe this guy was blind from birth, not for a single minute. Where's your parents? Bring them in. He's an adult. But they bring his parents in. And they ask them, verse 19, is this your son who, who you say was blind? How does he now see? Come on, parents. How does he now see? Mm. His parents answered, verse 20, and said to them, You know, we know, sorry, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind. Verse 21, but by what means he now sees, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. He is of age, ask him. He will speak for himself. What, what, a, what a terrible loss in that answer. They had to have known that it was God. But I want you to feel for them a little bit. They were in fear. They were living in fear. Look at verse 22. 
And his parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had agreed already that if anyone confesses that he was Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, verse 23, he is of age, ask him. Oh, we could never live in any fear like that, pastor. Hmm. Could it be that you might be a little afraid to tell other people that you're a Christian? To tell them that your eyes were once blind and now that you see, you just don't really want to bring that up at certain times. It's fear. Have you ever been afraid to anybody to know that you're a Christian? I don't know about you guys, but when I came back to the Lord, I was a little nervous about it. I had a lot of bad friends. And I didn't really want them to know that I believe Jesus. Fact is, when I had the motorcycle shop and them crazy CMAers, Christian Motorcycle Association, they heard that I had come to the Lord. They'd come in there and say, praise the Lord. Where are you at, George? And I just would hide under the counter. I didn't want anybody to know, man, it was a private thing. That was between me and God. But we all have this fear of what others may think. I know that I've been there. So I feel for these parents. They didn't want to be kicked out of the synagogue. So they said, ask him. Instead of giving a testimony that God is such an incredible God. Look at verse 24. So they again called the man who was blind and said to him, give God the glory. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered and said, whether he is a sinner or not, they're talking about Jesus. I do not know. One thing I know, that I was blind, and now I see. So verse 26, they said to him again, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? I love this. And he answered, I told you already, and you did not listen? Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciple? Praise God, I love this guy. I cannot wait to see him in heaven. And we are going to laugh and jump around over that. But you see, they had a hard heart. They did not want to believe. Their religious experience had hardened their hearts. Verse 28 says, Then they reviled him and said, you are his disciples, but we are Moses' disciples. Praise God. We know that God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow, we do not know where he is from. Now listen to this wisdom of this blind, who was once blind man. The man answered and said to them, Why, this is a marvelous thing that you do not know where he is from, yet he has opened my eyes. What an amazing statement. You ought to know if he healed a blind man, he is God, he is from God. I mean, come on, guys. Verse 31 says, now we know that God does not hear sinners. And this is, this is the blind man still talking. 
uh, the man who now sees. Now we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. Verse 32, he goes on to say, Since the world began, it has been unheard of that any one opened the eyes of one who was blind, who was born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. But you see, pride, pride would not allow them to believe. They answered and said to him, you were completely born in sins and you are teaching us. You, Mr. Guy that just got your eyes open, you're going to teach us religious people? Then they cast him out. They cast him out. Hmm. Jesus heard, verse 35, heard that they had cast him out. And when he had found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of God? Now, let me just say this. If you ever, been, ever have been or ever get kicked out of a religious institution for any reason, Jesus will find you. He will find you. He sought this man out. He sought him out. He knows the pain that can be incurred of, of religious people that can begin to hurt other people because of their religious beliefs. They're not relational beliefs. They're religious beliefs. And he knows how badly one can be hurt. So Jesus went and found him and said, Do you believe in the Son of God? Look at verse 36. And he answered, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? See, you got to remember, he had never seen Jesus. He was blind. And Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. Wow. Then he said, Lord, I believe, verse 38, and he worshiped him. In verse 39, it says, Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may be made blind. And so, then some of the Pharisees, verse 40, who were with him heard these words, and they said to him, Are we blind also? Bingo, he said. Oh, maybe it was bingos in the Greek, all right? He knew, he said, yes. And Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But you say, we see, because we've had this religious experience. Therefore, your sin remains. What is he saying? It's really simple. If you claim to be saved, the blood of Jesus and you still remain in your sin? Maybe you're not saved. Is that fair? You just refuse to change and refuse to move away from the things that Christ died for you for? Is that possible? When you were blind, never knowing Jesus, you did not know sin was a sin. And nobody says amen. 
Man, that was your chance. When you were blind and you did not know. I did horrible things when I lived in the world. At least they're horrible compared to the standards that I place upon myself today. World standard, they'd say, ah, no big deal. But now I see. My eyes have been opened and I believe in him. Now you can see. Once you've accepted him, he opens your eyes and all of a sudden you'll know what is sin. I don't have to tell you. He'll put a conviction in your heart. He will know. You will come and ask. Because you just know what you know. And that's all I got to say about that. I just realized I run out of material. <laughs> Praise God. And, and I got through early.